Hey everyone, it's Aaron Fritz and Chris Beck. We've been working on something new and exciting for our colleagues and trainees. Quick story, last year I had read somewhere that the volume of medical information doubles every 73 days. 73 days. It hit me that it's really difficult to keep up and it got me thinking about Backtable. We are getting good practical knowledge from our podcast, but there's room for improvement in them as an educational resource. We felt like we owed it to you, our audience, to build on the podcast to address this need. And that's what we're doing with Backtable Plus. Exactly, Aaron. Backtable Plus is for doctors who are seeking to elevate their practice and sharpen their skills by learning from their peers. We've created focused, curated courses on interventional and endovascular procedures vetted by Backtable's network of practicing experts. And we're really proud to be able to share that with you all. It's live now at backtable.com. Tap the link and just click on courses at the top. Yeah. In addition to getting this information in a concise course format, you get CME for it. I figured we're educating ourselves constantly online. It sure would be nice to get credit for it. Partnering with CME if I made this happen. There are three years worth of CME credits already live in the platform today. These courses are live right now. Find the link or type in backtable.com and click the tab that says courses. And that's it. We also made a mobile app and you can grab that from either Apple or Android's app store as well. Couple more things. From now until SIR in late March, users will get 50% off of the annual subscription, a great way to use your education funds. And the first 25 physicians to sign up, you guessed it, a signature limited edition Backtable Plus hoodie. Only a few of these, so get them while you can. Can't wait to see you there. Just go to backtable.com and click on courses at the top. This week on the Backtable Podcast. From a reimbursement standpoint, I would really just kind of encourage people to really line up the comparative, if you were not going to use the IVL, what therapy were you going to use and what does that look like versus if you are going to use the IVL? Because I think they would find in the iliac and femoral distribution, the margin is quite good um, in favor of IVL. If you want to pick that therapy, if that's the right therapy for the patient. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. First, a brief message from our sponsor. This discussion is supported by Shockwave Medical, developer of intravascular lithotripsy, or IVL, which uses sonic pressure waves to safely fracture superficial and deep cardiovascular calcium. What's fresh with Shockwave IVL? First, the recently released Disrupt PAD3 RCT results demonstrated proven safety and effectiveness with high primary patency out to two years with no embolization, flow-limiting dissections, or perforations. And second, that the beginning of 2023 brings further progress with the Medicare payment increases for IVL in the treatment of iliac, femoral, and popliteal arteries in the ASC setting. Learn more at shockwavemedical.com. Now, back to the episode. Today, we have a great episode lined up. We're going to be discussing applications of intravascular lithotripsy or IVL in the outpatient setting and specifically in the ASC. With us today, we've got a recurrent guest, Dr. Jim Melton and Amanda Stanley. Welcome, guys. Hi, welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Jim was just on. We just released your reimbursement episode for the OBL and ASC space. And so to our audience, please go check that out. It's episode 287. There's a lot of great information in there with Blake on there. And we talked about, you know, reimbursement updates for peripheral chill disease, as well as embolization uh, and a few other procedures that are specific to the outpatient space. So lots of good stuff on that one. 
Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about the outpatient space, but more specifically about a new procedure that's entered the outpatient space, intravascular lithotripsy. Before we get to that, I want to kind of learn a little bit more about Amanda and Amanda's role in the practice, especially, you know, since you guys announced last time that you partnered up with a PE firm. But Amanda, can you give our audience a little bit of background about yourself? Absolutely. My name is Amanda Stanley. I'm a registered nurse. Long history, about 20 years of history in surgery nursing or operating room nursing. About eight years ago, I came over to join Dr. Moulton's outpatient space as the clinical director for their dual entity, OBL-ASC. Since that time, taken on a COO role, all things operation, to include clinical, RCM, payer negotiation and credentialing, uh, accreditation, just kind of all things ASC, OBL operations. I know you guys have partnered up with the P firm. Jim was talking about this on the last episode. You've taken on some other practices around the United States. Are you helping to run those practices or tell us about your role with incorporating those practices into your practice or your business? Joining with the PE firm, we now have kind of a corporate suite and it's a collaborative effort. OKC was kind of ground zero for our growth. So they rely a lot on what we've built here to take and, and model that throughout the country. Definitely some new C-suite members that lend a lot of expertise and collaboration as we kind of move forward. Just curious, like, is your week-to-week change now where you're more helping put out fires and take care of issues, you know, with the practices across the country, or are you still pretty primarily focused on the OKC practice? Primarily focused on the OKC practice, definitely an uptick in uh, meetings as we expand those efforts to grow and and gain more practices, but I'm not necessarily managing any of the other practices in any of the other locations, more just collaborating, joint calls with the ASC leaders from those other practices so that we all are on one call together. We may be doing new things here in OKC that they haven't started incorporating in their market yet. So using some expertise from each of us to collectively grow. Well, that's a great segue into what we're talking about today. Speaking of new things in the outpatient space, Jim, when and how did you start using IVL in the ASC space? And can you give the audience sort of like a, a background on that? And, and then we can jump into like what the applications are. Yeah. So I think, you know, obviously Amanda's a little modest here as far as her role. It's key to have this type of quality and leadership at the ground floor. I think that she um, definitely helps with the uh, ASC leaders across the platform with the C-suite, with the COO uh, of the platform and those kind of things to work through issues that may come up as far as uh, new product lines, which uh, we're excited to talk about today. And again, Amanda's role also includes checking on new CPT codes that cross over from HOPD to the surgery space on a biannual basis. I believe she can speak on that if she needs to, but as soon as those, you know, arrive on the uh, accepted Medicare CPT code list, then we, we look at those from a patient uh, satisfaction, patient safety criteria, and, and all those kind of things go into play on uh, producing outcomes that are what we think are better than, than a hospital. So, you know, at the end of the day, she's got a lot of titles and, and I think that it's key for, for any type of business to have, you know, a person like her in the position. But to your question, the, the IVL came up 
as a reimbursable procedure in the surgery space, uh, in the ASC space only. It's not paid for in the OBL space. So that needs to be clear that it's it's one more advantage, again, of having a, a hybrid facility as opposed to OBL only. Not that we're not doing good service and good work out there with the OBL only world, but my fear with OBL only shops are the continued decrease in reimbursement, which we talked about on the last episode, and the increasing percentage of reimbursement in the ASC space is kind of Washington's way of forcing it into that licensed facility. So uh, at the end of the day, that's where we are. And I think that all of my peers and people that I really respect across the country that are trying to do the same thing for our CLI patients, we understand that and we're prepared for the future. So having said that, I think that IVL came on the, the screen as a payable CPT code in the surgery space. And as you know, it's a technology where we, um, you know, use lithotripsy to try to help with the at least severe calcium load in Oklahoma that we see in obviously uh, the Midwest and probably all over the place if you're really seeing a lot of CLI volume. So, and we see these a lot in the iliac distribution. And obviously the same code is responsible for iliac, SFA, and POP. So it goes all the way through the POP until the anterior tib takes off. Those are the reimbursable IVL codes currently in the surgery space. I can just tell you that like a, an EOB for the OBL space on uh, bilateral iliac PTA and stents has about a 2.5x net number on it in the surgery space as opposed to the OBL. So you can see the, the distinct advantage of not only using this new technology, which most of the time is hard to even get at the big box hospitals because they won't pay for the device. So there's a problem too. And that's, that's what we kind of pride ourselves in is that we try to have the latest, greatest technology for our patients. And we have that uh, capability of having it in our space. We don't hesitate to, to give the patients the best technology, uh, you know, on the market. So I, I want to get into how you guys are using it in your, in your practice. But first I have some questions from the audience around those CPT codes. Maybe Amanda, since this is your expertise, you could help answer these. Christian Manova, from a vessel surgeon from Columbus, Ohio, he's currently building out an ASC and he's very curious about the latest CMS fee schedule updates. And he said from what he could find, IVL seems to be listed as a C code C9764-C9775. Given that there's not a regular CPT code assigned yet, are there any risks to outpatient centers performing IVL in terms of not getting appropriate reimbursement from payers? So for Medicare, those C codes that you referenced are the, the correct codes. And although it's got a designation of a C code, it is an actual code, a standalone code. It's not a pass-through code or a add-on code. It is the code for the procedure. And since last year, 2022, when we started doing IVL, uh, we've had no issues with Medicare recognizing the code, reimbursing accurately, and even reimbursing for multiple units of the code on, on one case. As far as commercial payers, they will not recognize the code unless you ask to, you know, add that to your fee schedule. And, and that's where we're at now as far as commercial payers. Depending on your commercial contract, if your commercial contract is just a straight percentage of Medicare, 
you have to verify which Medicare fee schedule they're using. So if they're using the most up-to-date Medicare fee schedule, then they'll follow the same codes that, that Medicare is approved. But a lot of commercial contracts, they have a set, set list of CPT codes and they do not recognize the new up-and-coming C codes or zero codes that Medicare releases. Okay, so how are you guys working around those challenges? Is it just case by case? So most of the IVL cases we have completed are Medicare cases or Medicare replacement plans. We do have a few commercial payers that we're on a, they follow the Medicare fee schedule and we're at a multiple of the Medicare fee schedule. So we're good to go on those payers. A few of our other payers, we've now went to them after doing IVL for about half the year last year and seeing the results, doctors getting behind it and, and liking the technology. We went to some of our other commercial payers this year and requested to add the codes. Uh, we just got that approved with one of our biggest payers here in Oklahoma. So it looks promising to me as far as adding it to your commercial contracts. If you just kind of put in a little bit of legwork and use the Medicare fee schedule to kind of help you prove the technology and the reimbursement. And just to clarify... What we're talking about is purely in the PAD space, because I know you guys have cardiologists in your practice. This is not involving the coronary space at all, right? This is all PAD we're talking today. Perfect. The coronary stuff is, uh, I think it's coming for sure. And uh, there's no question in my mind that, you know, that's a big hospital play right now with IVL. But uh, the coronary space will probably more than likely open up. I'm just going to throw an example like FFR. And all those things got approved this year. So those are reimbursable in the ASC space where they weren't last year. So that technology now, we used it before if we needed it. And we um, ate the cost because we're not going to shave anything off a patient care model. But uh, now it's reimbursable. So I think to your point, the atherectomy and for sure, I think the IVL will come to the space. Yeah, I would assume because you guys have a large number of cardiologists in your practice. I imagine you guys are keeping a close eye on that as well. That's correct. So along these lines, in terms of like the financial challenges of incorporating IVL in the ASC, on one of your tweets, someone commented, Jim, someone commented that IVL in the ASC will be financially challenging unless the IVL catheter becomes cheaper because the reimbursement is half that of atherectomy. What's your response to that? I don't know if you got into it on, on Twitter or not, but it'd be great to kind of address that while we have you here. Yeah, so shockwave alone with no stent, they're pretty close, but your shockwave balloon cost is more than the atherectomy device. So you do have a net number that's a little less, but I think it all comes down to clinical, you know, just do the right thing for the patient, obviously every time. But, you know, to open both of them, the cost of goods does go up, but especially if you don't have to stent. After your balloon uh, IVL uh, lithotripsy and, and you do IVUS and you see, you know, a flap or something and you, you know, you're going to have to stint and that changes the ball game completely. So, you know, IVL with a stint, you know, the cost of goods doesn't come into play at all. IVL alone, it, you have to watch kind of your cost of goods and what you're doing for sure. So before we get into more of the kind of clinical applications, I, I had another question for Amanda. You've mentioned some of this, but if, if you have any more information to add in terms of like the rundown on the 2023 reimbursement update for peripheral IVL, has it changed in the ASCs from last year to this year? Yes, it has. So last year, primarily code C9765, which is IVL 
PTA and stint. That was the primary code that there was some real upside on the reimbursement to where you could cover the cost of your device. And it was a significant difference than if you had only done PTA and stint in the same space. So by adding the IVL catheter, there was about a oh, $5,000 delta to add the add the IVL catheter. So yes, you're out the cost of the goods, but you're still on the upside of that. You've covered your cost and there's still some margin there. Going into 23, they really got a lift on some of their other codes. So C9764, it had about a 216% increase over last year. That took your IVL and, and PTA only and either the iliac or that femoral distribution. That took that number up from 2000s into the 7,000. So it got a, a large lift there. Kind of to Dr. Melton's point, it really comes down to clinical application. If you're going to only IVL versus you you get in there and then you need a stent as well. The IVL PTA atherectomy combination is an interesting combination. They did get a about 178% lift over last year on that code as well. So they definitely recognize the device intensive portion of that procedure and really gave it a lift. That's where it gets a little bit tricky on if you're pulling an atherectomy device and you're pulling an IVL device, looking at your cost of goods comparative to the reimbursement. The way it sets today, there still is plenty of margin in the in the reimbursement on that code, which is C9766, but not as much margin by pulling those two devices together. Dr. Malton would have to speak more on the clinical application of using both IVL and atherectomy. Yeah, so Jim, let's jump into some of the clinical applications. Krishna did want to know, you know, since the majority of y'all's cases are tibio-pedal access, is sizing a concern? There's six and seven French catheters, right? For iliac vessel. Yeah, so 5.5, 6, and 7 all go through a 5.6 cylinder sheath, you know, in the foot, and that's what we use. 80% 80% of the time. So if you go up to uh, an eighth, that's a seven French sheath. And then they have brand new devices coming out that are nine, 10, and 12 that are all eight French. So that obviously is going to be a femoral case. Got it. What, what's your cutoff when we start going to femoral sheath size? In the surgery center space, I mean, we don't usually like to go over seven French sheaths. So if we have a case where we're going to need a covered stent that's big or something like that, we'll kind of manage. And what Amanda will do it as an analysis of cost of goods on the case, the carrier, and we'll decide whether we're taking that to the hospital or the surgery center space. How often are you stenting with IVL? Do you have a rough number in mind or is it pretty rare? No, I would say a lot of times. A lot of times. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you truly... If you don't just do angiogram and you you investigate with IVUS, it's pretty rare that you're going to do IVL only. The stuff you see with IVUS is like frightening, frankly. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you're breaking up that calcium with the shockwave and then you're stunting afterwards. And are you doing most of the time bare metal or covered or it depends on where it is? Uh, mostly bare metal, hardly, hardly ever covered. Yeah. And so to kind of step back, how are you deciding which patients to treat in the hospital versus in the ASC? Yeah, so sheath size does have a role. If we have a CTA, if we have a, a diagnostic angiogram, you know, we'll measure those arteries and kind of see what size we need or whatever. And also the patient selection in the surgery center, that's a 
that's the big deal about success. And that applies to the coronary space also. And so, you know, those airway patients that are questionable, we don't have uh, ability for total lift patients, those kind of patients, you know, we also just take into account all their comorbidities. I mean, we, if we have a patient that is sick and has a lot of comorbidities, then we'll, we'll take that to the hospital, obviously. Patient selection is really important in that space to be successful. One more question around that is how does the safety profile and available data of, of this therapy impact your use in the ASC? You guys have obviously used it a lot, but any data out there that you see that kind of helps support its use in the ASC? Well, I mean, there's a ton of IVL data. I think that the data is pretty clear that it, it really does well in that heavy calcium load. And I think it's important to make note that the catheters, you know, do have a sweet spot where they, they do emit the greatest amount of therapy. And I think it's important to use that sweet spot where the calcium load is. So we mark it with intravascular ultrasound, and that's where we spend our time as far as the therapy. Actually, the new balloons are shorter. The 9, 10s, and 12s are they're only 40 lengths. And the emission from those, you'll see when they come out, but the, the emission from those are equal throughout the entire length of the balloon. So there's not a, quote, sweet spot on the shorter catheters. Those are, all have equal amount of therapy coming from the entire length of the balloon. Whereas the 60s that are available now in the 5, 5, 6, and 7, they do have a sweet spot in the middle, and that's where we direct our therapy the greatest, and we mark it, again, not with angiography, but with an intravascular ultrasound. Great. You know, that's all I had in terms of the main challenges to incorporating this in your practice. Amanda, anything that we're, we've left out that uh, can help anybody out there who's looking at starting to incorporate this? You know, from a reimbursement standpoint, I would really just kind of encourage people to really line up the comparative if you were not going to use the IVL, what therapy were you going to use and what does that look like versus if you are going to use the IVL. Because I think they would find in the iliac and femoral distribution, the margin is quite good um, in favor of IVL. If you want to pick that therapy, if that's the right therapy for the patient. The trends we're seeing, uh, as Dr. Melton mentioned earlier, is just that continued uplift in the ASC on all of the PAD codes and a decrease in the OBL space. So as I kind of did my analysis for 23, they really are stacking up to where the IVL therapy is just kind of another tool in their toolbox that is favorable in the ASC space. So I think if there's people out there that believe in the therapy, there is a way to incorporate it in your ASC and still be profitable, not run a risk of eating your whole reimbursement and your cost of goods. Yeah, I think we both can be very, very confident in telling our audience and our peers that there's no fear in getting full reimbursement on this code. You have to stay steady with your documentation and do the right thing for the patients, which is what our platform, you know, strives for every day. I think that, again, the, the stuff that's coming for therapy in the surgery space, just a little tease. I mean, we we started a Barostim program, which is a heart failure device, uh, which, again, we may talk about sometime, but we've done five of those in the space already and, and just, you know, incredible results with that therapy on heart failure. And, um, you know, patients go home the same day. And so I think that as we see more and more of these codes come and, and the ability to take great care of patients in, in a, in a space where 
the infection rates are lower for devices, i.e. Baristem and all type of defibrillators and pacemakers and any kind of device that's put in, you know, the patient satisfaction is very high because of the easy in, easy out, um, nurses that are committed to the platform, those kind of things. So I think the space is, uh, at a very low part of a gigantic growth curve. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, no, it's, it sounds really exciting. All the stuff that's come down the pike. Any last words before we finish up guys? No, I think, um, you know, again, we're more than happy to help any of our peers and partners and people that fight for our patients, uh, in the CLI space at any time, you can feel free to call us, hit me on Twitter or whatever, and be happy to help in any way we can. Well, thank you so much, guys. I appreciate your time and, and, uh, looking forward to hanging out again soon. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon with support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson. And Delaney Aguilar. Social media and PR by Ann Dang. Administrative support provided by Jamila Kennebrew. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening. Hey everyone, it's Aaron Fritz and Chris Beck. We've been working on something new and exciting for our colleagues and trainees. Quick story, last year I had read somewhere that the volume of medical information doubles every 73 days. 73 days. It hit me that it's really difficult to keep up and it got me thinking about Backtable. We are getting good practical knowledge from our podcast, but there's room for improvement in them as an educational resource. We felt like we owed it to you, our audience, to build on the podcast to address this need. And that's what we're doing with Backtable Plus. Exactly, Aaron. Backtable Plus is for doctors who are seeking to elevate their practice and sharpen their skills by learning from their peers. We've created focused, curated courses on interventional and endovascular procedures vetted by Backtable's network of practicing experts. And we're really proud to be able to share that with you all. It's live now at backtable.com. Tap the link and just click on courses at the top. Yeah. In addition to getting this information in a concise course format, you get CME for it. I figured we're educating ourselves constantly online. It sure would be nice to get credit for it. Partnering with CME if I made this happen. There are three years worth of CME credits already live in the platform today. These courses are live right now. Find the link or type in backtable.com and click the tab that says courses. And that's it. We also made a mobile app and you can grab that from either Apple or Android's app store as well. Couple more things. From now until SIR in late March, users will get 50% off of the annual subscription, a great way to use your education funds. And the first 25 physicians to sign up, you guessed it, a signature limited edition Backtable Plus hoodie. Only a few of these, so get them while you can. Can't wait to see you there. Just go to backtable.com and click on courses at the top.